Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to consider your word and to be obedient children of yourself this morning uh, as a result of your Holy Spirit coming amongst us. Oh Lord, we pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now to help us as we consider your word and to help us to be obedient to the way you would have us live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Philippians, which is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, and he's been speaking to them about how he feels towards them, but also about his situation. They are dear friends of his, they've been supporting him as a missionary, uh, sent out uh, so that he can take the gospel further afield, but they're being concerned for him because he's in prison, he's in chains. And so he's been speaking about his situation in prison and how he feels towards it, and last week we saw that he is still, he's still one who rejoices. He's still uh, rejoicing uh, because he knows that the Lord will be with him uh, no matter what happens. We see this in the end of verse 18 there of Philippians chapter 1. I encourage you to have a Bible before you. He says that new paragraph there in verse 18, yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He knows that uh, he will be saved uh, no matter what. And why is this? Well, it's because of basically his purpose in life. What is Paul's purpose? What is his life for? Well, we see it with that wonderful verse, verse 21, which is very familiar to many of us. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What is Paul's purpose? Well, it's Christ. He lives for Christ. What does it mean to live for Christ? Well, we understand, if I change that word to something else, if I was to say, for me to live is food, I think we'd all understand pretty quickly what it means. It means that my whole life is focused on that object, and if it's food, my whole life is focused on eating, on either having sufficient food or having food that's of particular taste to us, of particular quality. For me to live is to have a particular quality of food that I will enjoy. So what does it mean that the Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ, it means that he desires Christ above all else. Out of everything in this world, Christ is his greatest desire. He obeys Christ, he speaks about Christ. Everything that he does is subservient to Christ. It comes under the umbrella of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what else does he say in verse 21? Why else does he rejoice? Well, he has this purpose of living for Christ, and then we see in verse 21, he says, for me, to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He seems to be very happy with his life, that it's a life lived for Christ, but why then does he say to die is gain? Well, the Apostle Paul knows that if he dies, he goes to be with Christ in person. He says that in verse 23. Verse 23, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ doesn't go somewhere else away from the Lord Jesus. No, he goes to be with Christ, which is better by far. Far better than being in this world and living for Christ is to go and be with Christ in person. We understand this. It's nice to have some sort of correspondence, some sort of connection with someone, but far better to actually be in the presence of that person, to live with that person. This is the great struggle, when you're, uh, particularly when you're engaged to someone. It's nice to have a relationship with them, but it's often interrupted. It's not the best of relationships. What's best by far? To be with that person, to live with that person, to see that person face to face rather than just calling up on the phone or writing letters. Far better to be with the person 
And that is why the Apostle Paul says, to die is gain. But the Apostle Paul, even as he says this marvellous statement here, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, of course that shows why he's so joyful even while he's in chains in prison, we see that he has conflicting desires even in this. Why? Well, the Holy Spirit is using the Apostle Paul for fruitful labour while he's here on earth. We read in verse 22, if I am to go on living in the body rather than die, this will mean fruitful labour for me. While he's on earth, God is using him by the power of the Holy Spirit to produce fruit, to work hard. What is the fruitful labour that he is doing? Well, we read in verse 25 and verse 26. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. While the Apostle Paul is alive on earth, the Holy Spirit is using him to produce fruitful labour, which is the progress and joy of the Philippian church, and of course many other believers that he comes into contact with. And so while he's on earth, he's enjoying the fellowship that he has with other believers and the encouragement that he gets as they continue to progress in the faith. So he's got this conflicting desire. If Paul dies, what happens? Well, he gains, but others lose. There will be sorrow as they lose a dear friend, a dear brother in, the Christ, in, in, in Christ. And, of course, there may be struggles for the church in Philippi. Paul is a great encouragement to them to remain in the faith and to hope in the Lord Jesus if Paul is taken away, that encouragement is lost. So Paul feels torn, is the way he describes it. Or it can be translated as hard-pressed there in verse 23. I'm torn between the two. I want to go and be with Jesus in person, but I also want to stay for the joy and the progress of the people that I love here on earth. Also, it's this hard press that he, he feels the pressure. He's torn between the two, or we could consider it as hard-pressed. So what does the Apostle Paul decide to do? What does he prefer? Because ultimately, it's not his decision. He, of course, knows the Sixth Commandment. He's not allowed to commit suicide. What does he prefer? What shall he choose, he says there, but you could also translate that as, what would I prefer? What does he prefer? Well... He prefers to remain content to stay for the necessity of others. And we read that in verse 23. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. The Apostle Paul decides he's content to stay. He's content to remain for the benefit of others, for the necessity of others, he even says. Now, how do we illustrate this dilemma so we can understand it better? Well, I think we can illustrate it by understanding that Paul, for him, his life on earth is like living on the streets in a tent. It's like living on the streets in a tent. How do we get such an illustration? Well, there's a few little hints even in this passage. In this passage, in verse 23, where it says, I'm torn between the two, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. The word there, uh, the Greek word that's translated as I desire to depart, it's actually the word that they used for a number of different uh, leavings, but it, it can include take, packing up your tent. 
When our army is camped and then they, they want to leave, they pack up their tents. And so Paul is giving that sort of idea here in verse 23. And even as we look at the other ways that he describes his situation here on earth, verse 24 he says, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. That word can be translated as stay in the body, the idea of camping out, you stay in the place. And even verse, three, uh, verse 25, convinced of this I know that I will remain. It's actually a different Greek word there, even though it's translated the same way in both uh, uh, verse 24 and 25 in our translations here this morning. But uh, it's the idea of staying with someone, that you're alongside someone, is that Greek word there. And so this idea of camping is here in the text, but it's also a very prominent idea to describe the life that we live on earth in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's found on page 1144, a few pages earlier from our passage in Philippians. Page 1144, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we read from verse 1. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes here to the church in Corinth in verse 1, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body, away from the tent, and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Very clear, the idea there, that what we experience in this world is really like camping. It's like we're living on the streets in a tent. But while living on the streets in the tent, in all its dangers, we have suddenly been reconnected with our Father, our royal Father. We learn that our Father is King of kings and Lord of lords. And we've been connected with our royal Father through the Prince. What has the prince done? Well, he's reconnected us with the Father through letters that he's given to us. He's corresponded with us. And what else has the, the prince done? Well, he's paid the journey for us to go from living in tents on the streets to go and be in the royal palace and to live with the prince himself in all the luxuries that come of being part of the royal family. So Paul's this person, he's living on the streets in a tent with all the dangers, and he's found out that he's actually connected to the royal family and that the prince has paid for him to go and live in the palace. And he can stay in the palace from then on. He doesn't have to live in a tent any longer. But what else has the prince done? Well, he's told Paul that he has to wait. He has to wait in the tent until that day when he can pack up his tent and he can go and live in the royal palace. But what else has happened to the Apostle Paul while he's living on the streets? He's made connection with the royal family. He's found out he can go one day. What else has he done? Well, he's actually met brothers and sisters while he's living on the streets. 
He's met some brothers and sisters and he's been able to reconnect them to the royal family. He's been able to show them the correspondence of the prince and tell them that they too can go and live in the royal palace and that the journey is paid for by the prince. What they have to do, just like him, they have to live for a time still on the streets in the tents, in the terrible conditions that it is to live on the streets, in a tent with all the dangers that come from living in a tent rather than in a house. He's been encouraging them and supporting them and helping them to rejoice in the fact that this world is not their home. But they will pack up their tent one day and go and live in the palace. Now, what does this mean for Paul? Well, if he leaves his tent on the streets and goes to the royal palace, it's gain for him, isn't it? To leave this earthly existence with all the dangers, with living in a tent that can be destroyed so easily. It's gain for him. But what does it mean for his siblings who he's come to love so much? He has to leave them on the streets in all the dangers. He has to leave them behind. He's no longer going to be there to encourage them and support them and rejoice with them. And so it may be gain for him to go to the royal palace. But it's a loss for the brothers and sisters that he leaves behind on the streets. So the Apostle Paul, you can see how he's torn when you illustrate it this way. That he's going to leave his siblings to all the dangers of the streets and living in a tent while he gets to go to the royal palace. So what does the Apostle Paul decide to do? What does he settle on? What's his preference after all this? Well, his preference is to remain. He's content to stay like an older brother, staying for the good of his younger siblings, to make sure that they're going to be okay. Yes, it'd be lovely for him to go to the royal palace, but he's going to remain while the king desires that he remain so that his brothers and sisters can be encouraged and that he can rejoice with them. And don't we as Christians face the same dilemma then? Doesn't this speak to the tearing of our souls as well? Aren't we torn like this? Why? Well, we're, like the Apostle Paul, we're living on the streets in tents. We may sometimes feel like we are living in far more than tents, but we are in danger. We are in danger in this world. There is pain, there is wickedness of men, there are all kinds of fears that we have. It is like we are living on the streets. But what has happened while we've been living on the streets? Well, we've been reunited with our Heavenly Father, with the Royal Father, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we've understood by correspondence with the Prince that we are welcome to go and live in the palace and that the journey is paid for. There's nothing that we need to do other than wait for the Royal Carriage to come and pick us up and take us to live with the Royal Family in the palace. So what do we do? We simply wait with eager expectation for the journey to come when we will gain. But what else do we do? Well, we've met brothers and sisters. We've met siblings of the royal family. While we've been here on earth, we've found many brothers and sisters. And what have we been doing with the brothers and sisters? Well, we've been rejoicing with them in the mercy and grace of our royal father to take us back to be with him in the palace one day. And we've been encouraging one another, like older siblings looking with the younger siblings, and we say, it's going to be wonderful one day. And we've been rejoicing with them. So what is our situation now? Well, if we die and go to be with Christ, what will happen? 
Well, we will gain, won't we? Every time a Christian dies in this world, it is gain for them. They're finally off the streets. They're finally safe from the wickedness of the world. They're finally safe from the pains and sufferings of this world. But what about our brothers and sisters that are left behind? Well, it's loss. They lose an elder sibling. They lose the encouragement to remain faithful. They lose the joy of knowing that elder sibling whilst on earth. And they may struggle. They may struggle to continue in the faith as they once did because an elder sibling has gone. So what troubles a Christian most about death? It's leaving siblings behind. Leaving the siblings behind to suffer in this world. So what do we do? What do we prefer? Well, like the Apostle Paul, we come to the conclusion that we will stay. We will be content to stay while the Lord wills it. Why? For the progress and joy of younger siblings. And maybe even we'll be able to reconnect other siblings with the royal father in heaven. And they too will rejoice in going to the palace one day. Isn't that the description of us this morning? Does that describe you? That you are torn with this desire to be with Christ, which is better by far, but also to remain with younger siblings in the faith? Maybe it doesn't describe you. Maybe you don't feel this tearing that the Apostle Paul describes here in Philippians chapter 1. Well, why is that? Why is it? Why is it you don't feel like you're living on the streets? That you feel like you may be living in the palace already? That you quite like it here on earth? That death for you is not gain, but death for you would be loss. Do you actually fear death? Why is that? Do you not feel what the Apostle Paul feels here? Where he's torn because you don't care much for others. So you don't really mind leaving others behind. You don't feel the tearing. You're quite happy to go to heaven. But you don't feel this tearing, this hard pressure of knowing what you would prefer. You have no concern whether others continue waiting here in this world for the journey to heaven. Well, why do you think that you're already living in the palace and to die is loss? Well, why is it that you don't care for others? Well, it's because the first part of Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, doesn't apply to you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, what does it say? For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. If you don't live for Christ, then of course you're not torn between the two. The two choices, two preferences that the Apostle Paul was torn for between. Why? Why would living for Christ mean that you desire to die? Well, we finally get to go and be with Christ. Christ is everything to us. If you live for Christ, then he is everything to you. And so, of course, you desire to die and be with him. He is your creator. He's your sustainer. He's your redeemer. He's the one who's reconnected you with the Father. He's even described as your bridegroom. And so, of course, you desire to be with him. You sing with the hymn writer Lemuel, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So you turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full into his wonderful face. Being with Christ is better by far than anything you can experience in this world. Any of the joys, the pleasures that the world offers, Christ is better by far. 
And to go and be with him is always going to be gain for you if you live for Christ. To go and be with him, and it's just an added bonus that there's no sin, there's no suffering, pain. That's a glorious place to live. But you get to go and be with the bridegroom. But why, why then does living for Christ cause us to desire to remain with brothers and sisters? Well, who are our brothers and sisters? They're the, the church, which is Christ's body. If we love Christ, if for me to live is Christ, then won't we love his body, the church? Why? Because in the church, in brothers and sisters in Christ, we see Christ. And we love him, don't we? That's our taste of Christ on earth, is being in the company, the fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. So if we live for Christ, then of course the church will be exceedingly precious to us. Our brothers and sisters, our siblings in the faith will be precious to us and we desire to be with them. We want to rejoice with them in the connection that we have with the royal family and the hope that we have of going to be with Christ and to live in the royal palace where he's preparing a room for us. We rejoice as we glorify Christ with them. They're the people who glorify Christ here on earth. And so we, as people who live for Christ, want to be with them as they glorify Christ with us. So, of course, if it's said of us, if we live for Christ, then, of course, death will be gained. And, of course, we'll then be torn as to whether we stay on earth with Christ's body, the church. Then the question is, if this does not describe you, you're not torn why is that? Why, why don't you live for Christ? You're living for something else. That's the answer. No one lives for nothing. Everyone lives for something. And if it's not for Christ, it's for something. What is it? If this doesn't describe you this morning, that you're hard-pressed to choose between the two, to go to heaven or to stay on earth, to be with God's people, what is it that's attracting you, that means that this desire is not your desire. What are you living for? You say you don't know. Well, maybe your friends and family can tell you. You can ask them, what do you think I live for? Maybe your work can tell you. Maybe your bank can tell you, if you don't know. They can look at your spending habits and analyse them for you. You can soon work out what it might be that you live for. Maybe your phone can tell you. It's crazy to say a phone because in the past it used to be that that was just a way of communicating with others. That can tell you a bit about what you live for. These days a phone means so much more. A phone can tell you a lot about what you live for. Your television similarly can tell you what you live for or your computer can tell you what you live for. Or even your pantry and refrigerator might be able to tell you what you live for. But why is it a problem to live for something other than Jesus Christ? Well, to live for anything other than Christ is loss. And to die is loss. Why? You miss the joy of knowing Jesus Christ here on earth. You miss the joy of living for his pleasure in your life. You live here on the streets in all its misery and you're going to focus on something that will not give you the joy that Christ gives. Why else is it lost? Well, when you die, what happens? 
If you live for something other than Christ, whatever you live for is taken away from you. Your bank account, your food, the pleasures you had, they're all stripped away from you. And what happens? You are eternally punished. Wake up if that is you. Wake up and realise that one day you will leave your tent here on earth for the torture chamber or for heaven, the palace. I think uh, the situation we've got in Australia and around the world, particularly here in Australia as a Western nation, the vaccines for COVID and the government response to COVID has given some people this idea that we can stave off death indefinitely. If we just take proper precautions, we can prevent death. But death will get us all in the end. It will get us all in the end. If you're not a Christian, admit it. You fear death. You fear death. Death is lost to you if you're not a Christian. It's only a Christian who can say to die is gain. So come to Christ now. Come to Jesus Christ now and know the joy of wanting to embrace death as better by far than fearing death. COVID, cancer, heart attacks, car accidents, the edge of those tragedies is taken off. They lose their edge because we know that we are getting something better by far, that we are gaining in death. We are confident. As the psalmist said in 49, uh, Psalm 49, verse 15, but God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. And so death is gain. The world is obsessed with stopping death. Why? Because to die is loss for them. But for the Christian, to die is gain. Come to Christ and know what it is to not fear death any longer as the world does. But at the same time, we are not suicidal. If you come to Christ and trust in him and live for him, we're not suicidal either. Why? Well, as we live for Christ, what happens? Well, we learn to love the body of Christ here on earth. We learn to love the body of Christ on earth and rejoice in it as an older brother rejoicing with younger siblings who have found this marvellous hope that one day we will go to be with our royal father in heaven and to be with Christ himself. And so, of course, what will we want if you live for Christ? You want to stay and help your siblings progress in the faith and rejoice with them in what we have found in Christ Jesus. You even want to stay and add to the family. Reach out to those long-lost brothers and sisters who have not connected with the royal father so that they too can share the joy that we have. So we are not suicidal. You will not be suicidal if you come to Christ and live for him. You will want to remain, not for your pleasures, but for the pleasures of others. But there is joy in this world. The pleasures that you experience in this world, if you're living for Christ, you do them for him. When you go to work, you work well for him. For you to work is Christ. When you study, if you're a student, you study well for him because to study is for Christ. When you socialise with others, you enjoy the social interaction with others, even those outside the kingdom, for Christ. You experience the love of a family who are not part of your 
Christian family. You experience that as precious love from God, shown despite the evil of mankind, that there's this common grace that Christ exercises in this world. And so you enjoy it. Even relaxing and resting is done for Christ and enjoyed. You can enjoy some of the entertainments that this world does offer us, but enjoy them for Christ as precious gifts from him. The danger that we have is that we make the gifts the focus and we live for the gifts rather than for the giver. But if we live for the giver, then we enjoy the gifts too with a greater joy than if we live for the gifts. Living for Christ is not loss, it is gain. In this world, as well as in the next, we can make the most of the tent that we live in on the streets, even as we look forward to the royal palace. So children here this morning, consider this as well. Begin while you are young to live for Christ. You will experience a far greater joy in this world. The pleasures of this world will be even more pleasing if you do them in the name of Christ, if you receive them in the name of Christ. And you won't fear death from a young age. You won't have to fear death because you know that death is gain because you've been living for Christ. And of course he will look after you and take you to be with him because he's paid for your sins at the cross and you've trusted that he's done so. All of us in this room, I ask you this morning, do you know then the joy of saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your graciousness in paying for us to leave the tents of this world and to escape the prison that we deserve, the torture chamber in hell for all eternity. And you've paid for us instead to come to the royal palace and dwell with you for eternity. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would help us to live for you and to consider death gain but also help us to be content to remain with our siblings for their progress in the faith with joy. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who is listening to me speak, oh Lord, if they are not living for you, grant them your salvation so that they understand what it means to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We pray this in your name. Amen.